0: Jesus speaks for me. In John 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all peoples to myself. He was referring to his physical death on the cross, as he had already spoken to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And in verse 14, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And if you remember the story of why Moses had to lift that serpent up, it was because the people of God had sinned and rebelled against God. And God sent fiery serpents, and they began to bite the people. And the people were dying. And God instructed Moses, You put a bronze serpent on a pole, and you lift it up. And if anybody will believe, if anybody will believe enough to look at that serpent, then he will be saved. Well, Jesus is the New Testament version of that. He's the one that was lifted up, and those who look to him, see, we've all been bitten by the serpent, the devil. We've all been infected by sin. Every one of us, there's none good, no, not one. And all of us, if we're going to be saved, we must look to Jesus Christ. It is his death on the cross, it is his shed blood for us that cures us of that sin, and forgives us. Jesus said in John 3, verse 15, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus. That whoever, that's you, that's anybody, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, as we come to the Lord's Supper, it's important for us to understand that this ordinance instituted by Christ at the Last Supper is a reminder of Christ being lifted up on the cross, the sacrificial death that served as a substitute for all of our sins. You see, it should have been us hanging on that cross. We're the ones that deserve to die, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want us to look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and talk about how this ordinance lifts Christ up and draws people to himself. In other words, what we're about to do here, what you're about to do, what does it accomplish? Is it just another religious ritual that we go through? Or is there meaning behind it? And you know, if we attach the meaning to it that it has... If you as an individual here this morning will attach the meaning to it that it already has, then it will be so significant, so worshipful, so meaningful for you. So I want to give you four things, but we're going to concentrate on the fourth thing. I'm just going to brief over the first three, because the first three I've already preached on before, and you'll be, you would be familiar with it. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and if you would begin with me in uh, verse 20, I want to read... This passage and then talk about it. He says, Therefore when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's is it not to eat the Lord's supper? For in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many die. It's, he uses the word sleep. But that's a common word in the New Testament for death, Paul referred to. He said, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. And what we find here are four reasons or four ways that the Lord's Supper lifts Christ up. Four meanings we can attach to it. And first of all, and the most obvious, is remembrance. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So as you're taking that bread, you ought to be thinking, as you're holding it in your hand, waiting for us all to take it uh, with one another. And by the way, that's how we do it here Uh, at this moment and this the way we conduct the Lord's Supper today, you you will receive that piece of bread and you'll hang on to it for a while until all of us take it together, when I direct all of us to do it together. We'll talk about the significance of that in just a moment. Same with the juice. You'll hold on to that cup of juice until we all take it together. So as you're holding that piece of bread or as you're holding that cup of juice, you ought to be thinking, closing your eyes and meditating and thinking on the death of Jesus. Not watching the deacons pass it out. Not watching to see if somebody spills their juice or drops the tray of bread. Focusing on the broken body of Christ. Think about how his body was broken. They pulled out his beard. They punched him in the face. I'm sure he had broken teeth. Scars and lacerations on his face. They put that crown of thorns on his head. The, the, the jabbing of the, into the brow and the top of the ears the lashes with the whip, his back was lacerated. You should be thinking of that. You say, that's gross. Yes, it's gross. It's cruel. And that's what God wants us to remember. The cruelty, the punishment of sin was upon your Savior, not you. Remember it. And everywhere his body was pierced, everywhere his body was broken, blood came out. So when you're holding that cup of juice, you need to be thinking about remembering that precious shed blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out instead of your blood. So we do this in remembrance of Him. So this morning, I want you to focus. And you, if you're like me, you're going to have to close your eyes. You're going to have to focus on that. Put all distractions aside and remember what Jesus did for you. Secondly, as proclamation. He said, he said in verse 26, As often as you do this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death till He come." You see, this actual service, what we're actually fixing to do here in a moment, is actually a message being preached. just proclaiming. The gospel, just the very act of us taking the bread and taking the juice, we're proclaiming the Lord's death to everybody here that Jesus died for our sin. Very important that the gospel be proclaimed in this way. A third thing is self-examination. He said, let a man examine himself. And not just a man, but I believe it begins with the men. I believe it begins with the spiritual leader of the home. I believe it begins with the spiritual leaders of the churches. I believe it begins with us as men. Let us men examine ourselves. This is church and Jesus and spiritual things are not just for women and children. They're for men of God. Men of God who will stand up and count in a world and in a culture where it's difficult. It takes men with backbones. So yes, let the men examine themselves. And see, are we being the spiritual leaders in our homes that we ought to be? Are we leading our wives and our children in the ways of God and in the word of God? Are we bringing them to church, coming to church with them, showing them what it means to be a man of God or a follower of Jesus Christ? But this also refers to all people, all believers, not just men in particular, but women and those children who belong to faith and who belong to Jesus Christ by faith. Examine yourselves. This week I sent you an article. I hope you took the time to read it. I don't want to take a survey of who reads the newsletter and who don't. i will probably be very discouraged but i wish you would because i try to put some things in there that are significant and meaningful to what is happening in the life of our church I ask you before you came today to examine yourself before you showed up to participate that you would examine yourself and that you would consider some things about your inner life some things that you need to ask god to forgive you for things you need to confess sins you need to confess attitudes actions Bitternesses, things that you need to get right with other people, things you need to get right with God, sins you're hanging on to that you won't let go of. need to confess those to God because if we don't, we take and you partake, you're partaking in an unworthy manner. And if you partake in an unworthy manner, the Bible says, we just read it, that's why many are sick, weak, and even die among you. So it's serious. We need to have a holy fear of God that we don't just go through this religious ritual And think we're okay. We need to be okay with God before we take it. And we're going to have a time to do that in just a moment. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so I hope that you'll take that opportunity even now. You may just have to stop listening to me now. You may have to excuse yourself. You may just need to bow your head or close your eyes and just deal with God about some things in your own heart and life that you know are not right. That may be what God is asking you to do now. But there's one more aspect of this that you don't see on the surface that I want to spend some time talking about, and that is the covenant aspect of the Lord's Supper. When we trusted Christ by faith to forgive our sin and save us, we entered a covenant with Him, the new covenant. That's what He says in verse 25. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Why did we need a new covenant? The old covenant. What was wrong with the old covenant? Well, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with it. But let me explain the difference. You know your Bible is divided into two sections, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. A better way to think about it would be, or a different way to think about it, would be the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, the whole Bible is what we need. We talked about that the first part of this year, the whole counsel of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so this is the whole Bible. We're not just New Testament Christians. We need the Old Covenant message, okay? But the Old Covenant was established with one group of people. Who is that? The Jews. And through them, God wanted the world to know him. The Old Covenant set a clear standard of right and wrong. You see that in the Ten Commandments. It served to expose sin of the whole world, and it served to reveal God's holiness. People under the Old Covenant quickly became aware, as you and I do today, that they can never live up to the standards of God's law. How many of you are aware of that this morning? I can never live up to the standards of God's law. I hope you all feel that way. That's the purpose of the Old Covenant. To help you feel helpless before God. You say, why would God want me to feel helpless before Him? A wretched sinner with no hope, no help, except in the person of the new covenant. Who? Jesus Christ. You see, in the new covenant, Jesus would accomplish all the requirements of God's law on our behalf. Listen, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. Verse 1 through 4. Here's what the Bible says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. God did by sending His own Son In the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now get this verse. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, your faith in Jesus Christ is the only way you can fulfill the requirements of the law. The only way. If you try it any other way, you'll fail, you'll find out you'll fail, and if you die that way, you will end in hell. You're never meant to try to live up to God's standards. God's standards were given to express His holiness and our sinfulness that would point us to the one who fulfilled the law for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Henry Blackaby wrote a book called A God-Centered Church, and I want you to, re- I want you to hear what he says about the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. In the old, man failed to fulfill his part of the covenant. In the new, God is to do everything in him. The old gave laws written on tablets of stone. The new covenant writes the law of God on our hearts. The old brought conviction of sin. The new brings forgiveness of sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The old reveals a corrupt heart that resists the will of God. The new provides a new heart that is responsive to the heart of God. The old covenant gave laws to follow, but no power to follow them. The new covenant gives Christians the Holy Spirit, who will empower us to know and to do God's will. Look with me, if you would, at the book of Ezekiel in chapter 36. Let me read two verses from that chapter, verse 26 and 27. God says through that prophet, He says, "...I will give you a new heart." And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. This is a prophecy of what God was going to do under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Did you realize that your decision to become a Christian was at the same time a decision to enter a covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ? And that's what we're celebrating here today, this new covenant. In other words, if you haven't entered this new covenant by faith in Jesus, then you shouldn't participate. You should wait until you've given your heart to Jesus by faith, but you could do that right now. Right where you sit, you could bow your head and say, Lord, I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I believe I'm a sinner by what your word says. And I believe that I'm helpless without you. I believe that you died on the cross and shed your blood. You've heard enough gospel this morning through the music and what I've already said that God could use to penetrate your heart and save you even now if you would be saved. But see, those who participate are celebrating what God has already done through the new covenant. But there's another vital dimension of this covenant that if you're not careful, we will miss in this chapter. And I want you to... Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to show this to you in verse 18. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen 18 says, For first of all, when you come together as a church. You hear that phrase? When you what? Come together as a church. It's very important. Let's keep reading. I hear that there are divisions among you. You ever been part of a church divided? And he said, in part, I believe it. Now, do you find it hard to believe that churches get divided? Paul says, I've heard of it, that you're divided, and I believe it. There must all, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, In one place. Now we're all here together in one place, and we're gathered here today to eat the Lord's supper. He says, In eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one's hungry, and another's drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you not or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I do not praise you. Now look at verse thirty three and thirty-four. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together, there's that phrase again, when you come together to eat, what does he say we're to do? Wait for one another. That's one reason we hold that piece of bread for so long. Those of you who are on the front rows, you're going to hold that piece of bread for a little while. That juice may start to trembling. You can put it in the little cup and just wait for everybody else. We do that as a sign of us waiting for one another. Oh, yeah, it would be easy just to pop that thing, start chewing right away, and then follow it down with a grape juice swallow. But we wait on one another. You see, we not only entered into a covenant with God through Christ, guess what else we entered? A covenant with one another. And the the, the, the Lord's Supper celebrates that, recognizes that. Even though it started the Old Covenant with one individual, Abraham, God made the Old Covenant with a group of people, the Jews. The New Covenant started with one man, Jesus Christ. And all who believe in Him become partakers of this New Covenant, and they are called the church. Individuals who enter a saving relationship with Christ also enter into a vital relationship with God's people in a local church. Now listen, folks, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But if you ever hear somebody say they're saved but they don't need the church, there's one of two things happening. Either they're not really saved or they completely misunderstand the covenant aspect of their salvation. Because you do need the church. And if you don't think you need the church, then you don't really need Jesus. Because the Bible says Jesus loved the church. And he gave himself for her. And so we need one another here this morning. Every member of this body of believers, we need one another. And this table, this act that we're about to participate in, recognizes that and celebrates that and remembers that. And if we're out of fellowship with any other member in this body, we better make it right before we partake. Or you'll be taking in an unworthy manner. It's that serious. He said, I see there are divisions among you. There should be no two people in here that are at odds with one another in this body of believers. There should be no division. And if there is, withhold from taking until you make it right. But this gives us an opportunity to not only examine our personal relationship with God, but our horizontal relationships with one another. Is there anybody that you're angry with, bitter towards, that you haven't made it right? Not just in this fellowship, but even outside this fellowship. There's a covenant aspect to this that we overlook. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the center, the pivotal center of that covenant relationship. That cross tells us that God did everything possible to reconcile sinners to Himself. Are you doing everything possible to reconcile those who've offended you to yourself? You see that's the covenant relationship we then entered with God and we celebrate through Christ. Listen with one another. Listen to 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. He says That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The basis of our fellowship is Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Jesus. You see, no one of us here today has the right to harbor bitterness against another if we have accepted forgiveness from Jesus Christ. you realize that? Because Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, what? Neither will he forgive you your trespasses. But how many people do you think in Baptist churches, or other churches, have gone through the Lord's Supper communion with bitterness in their heart, unforgiveness in their heart? They've accepted or they think they've accepted God's forgiveness or received it. they haven't received it if they have bitterness in their hearts towards another person. That's what needs to be made right. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of that covenant relationship with one another. You see, we're in a covenant relationship with God and with one another. And we're members with God and with one another. Now let me ask you something. When your hand starts hurting or gets wounded, In some way, do you cut it off? Or you say, I hate that hand. It keeps getting hurt. Or maybe some of you have arthritis. Anybody have arthritis? Say, I hate that joint. I think I'll just cut it off. No, what you do, you take some pills. You nurture it. You you have a hurt body member. You nurture it. You care for it. You try to get it back to health. What about when a member of this body is hurting or gets wounded by sin and Satan? You cut it off, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. Cut it off, or do you seek to nurture it, reconcile, care, heal? The Lord's Supper reminds us that we are in this covenant together. He says, when you come together, together, we are better together. Romans 12, 5 says, We, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So if we take this covenant seriously, then we can't just let other believers in our fellowship struggle. We intercept their lives with love and encouragement and understanding and grace and mercy and forgiveness and forbearance in order that they don't become overly discouraged and fall away. So the Lord's Supper provides us an opportunity to examine our relationship to Christ... And to examine our relationships with one another. So we can be restored to the blessings of the covenant relationship with God and with one another. You see the purpose of the old covenant and the new covenant. Is to, for God to draw all people to himself. And when the world sees and hears that the people of God are living and functioning In the covenant relationship with God and with each other, Christ is lifted up, and people are drawn to Him. But how many people do you know that use the excuse, all that church is just full of hypocrites, all they do is fuss and fight and bicker. Why would I want to be a Christian? You see, there's a covenant aspect that we must remember. So I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.